Right, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Let me read it to you. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, like I said, uh, my intention was just to kind of skim over this and move on into chapter 5, which talks even some more about how Jesus is the great high priest. But God began to show me so many things in these verses here as I was looking at it that I realized we can't skim. So we're going to just spend the hour that we have in this study on these verses. Now, these verses are tied to what the Hebrew writer has been saying previously. And you'll see next week they're also a prelude as to where he's going next. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to see how these verses are tied to where we've already been. All right, So let's look closely at what he says here. He says, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. I want to take some time to really take a look at that. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Go back in uh, Hebrews to chapter 1 and look again at verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. What I I want you to see, and then we're going to go to another place in chapter 2 of Hebrews, is... The Hebrew writer is saying that we have a high priest, and we're going to look at that in chapter 2 in a second. But he's not only a high priest, he's a great high priest, but he's not just a great high priest. He's gone through the heavens. Now remember, he's laying a foundation for where he's going next, and we'll see that next week as he compares the high priest that existed at that time with those uh, with Jesus and how Jesus supersedes them and how there's some similarities and how Jesus is even better. But what does it mean to you that he's gone through the heavens? What does that mean? Any idea? When you, when you hear that, what do you think of when it says he's gone through the heavens? When the Aaronic high priest went through, yeah, went through the veil on the day of the That's right. The high priest, uh, that he, went, he had to pass through the veil to get into the presence of God. Right. And where, how, did, how did Jesus, what did he pass through in order to get into the presence of God? He actually, he's been God. He left his throne, if you will. He came down to where we are. He went through the heavens, if you will, took on human form. And then the Bible says that when he had made sacrifice for sin, what did he do? He passed back through the heavens, if you will. He descended and then ascended back into the presence of God and sat at the right hand after making purification for sins. And not only that, not only has he passed through the heavens in order to do this, I mean... It's a big. I don't want to poo-poo what the high priests were doing in the time of the Jewish system that God had had, uh, had set up, but they were just passing through a veil, which was a picture of what it was. Jesus passed through the heavens, but not only that. You know, the Bible says He made the heavens. He didn't just pass through the heavens; He created them. I mean, think about the fact that the Bible says that Jesus actually fills the whole universe. We still have, with all the intellect that we have and the capabilities and technology, we're still trying to find the ends of it. And we've come, every time we think we get close, we realize we're not even close. Yet the Bible actually says Jesus, who is God, fills the universe. 
So the Hebrew writer is doing something here that I don't want you to miss. Because we have a tendency at times in this world that we live in to become fearful. Do we not? We have a tendency to be worried, to be anxious. And he is trying to build a picture here, help you grasp something that's very hard for our minds to wrap around, so that when we would understand who it is that has not only reconciled us to God, but who lives within us, this great high priest, this one who has gone through the heavens, who has made the heavens, that you don't worry. You don't fear. And to be honest with you, the times that we worry and fear are when we take our eyes off of who he is. Or we have a misunderstanding of who he is. Someone's told us something about him that's not true. And we may get into that if time permits. But look at chapter 2 of Hebrews, verses 14 through 18. We've already dealt with this, but I want to remind you, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And we're going to deal with that aspect of it a lot tonight. So, I want to just remind you, and then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that I really want you to kind of make some notes about that will help you when fear and worry start to come. Not only has he gone through the heavens, he made the heavens. Not only is he our representative between us and God, he is God. So what I want to do right now is I want you to kind of slowly make yourself a couple of notes here. I want you to make something that maybe you can put on your refrigerator or maybe on your bathroom mirror or something that will help you because there's going to be times where the waves of fear and worry and anxiety come. I'm going to ask you, do you believe or do you agree that Jesus is God? Yes. Yes. All right. Make yourself a note. Jesus is God. Alright? Do you believe that He has gone through the heavens to accomplish your salvation? Alright? He has passed through the heavens to accomplish my, my salvation. That, that's kind of a biggie. Third question. Do you understand that He planned this for you and accomplished this for you before you were born? Before the creation of the world. I'm just dealing with you right now, though. This is for you. Well, my, my grandson says when I was born, dirt was new. When you, when you, <laughs> All right, so here's the first three things. You believe that, do you agree that Jesus is God? Do you believe that He has gone through the heavens to accomplish your salvation? Do you understand that He has planned this for you and accomplished this for you before you were born? Fourth thing. Do you understand that Romans 8 says that if God is for you, it doesn't matter who or what is against you? If God is for you, it doesn't matter who or what is against you. Next, do you believe that this same Jesus lives within you and has sealed you as His forever? Yes. Do you believe that He who began this good work will finish it? Yes. Therefore, go back to Hebrews 4 and look at what He says. Then hold firmly to the faith you profess and approach the throne of grace with confidence. Folks, I don't want to skim over this because it's a kind of familiar passage. I don't want you to miss this. Sometimes some of the most profound truths we skim over and miss. 
Don't we sometimes lose faith? Why? Why do we lose faith? Okay, we're weak, and we're going to get to that tonight. That's actually in this section. We, we lose faith sometimes because we're weak. What are some other reasons? We don't know who He is, or we lose sight of who He is. Somebody else? There's more. We doubt. Don't, don't sometimes the circumstances seem to be insurmountable? We can't see the end. We can't see the end. Go ahead. Right, we, our balance gets. We, we lose sight of what's really most important, and we get off kilter that way. Oh, and by the way, please understand, you're not a bad person when this happens. Jesus knew that it was going to happen. We're going to go into that in a little more detail tonight. He knows how tough it is to live in this world. I mean, I so I've been tempted a lot in my life, and I'm sure I'm not done because until I die, I'll still struggle with temptation. But you know what? I haven't been tempted in every way. Have you? No, there's some things that aren't even a temptation to you that are a temptation to somebody else. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way? But the Bible doesn't list them all, does it? No, it doesn't have to list them all. I think when the Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, that believes he was tempted it says he was tempted in every way. Can you even imagine you know how hard it is for us to say no to sin? And many times we do real well. But sometimes we give in. Do you realize he even made it to the very end, never ever giving in. And the temptation was strong. And don't you think as much as Satan wants you to mess up, he wanted Jesus to mess up? Because if he could get Jesus to mess up once, he had nullifies his ability to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. And he would kill God's plan to reconcile man to himself. Yeah. It was not easy. It wasn't, it wasn't a no struggle for him. It was a tremendous struggle. And we even see it when he goes right before the cross and he's in the garden. And the Bible, one of the gospel accounts shows that he was wrestling so much with the temptation to turn from the cross that sweats of blood, drops of blood. And the medical doctors will tell you that does happen, but only at the most extreme stress and duress. Alright? Hold firmly to the faith that you profess and you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We're going to come back to that near the end of our study. But there's something here that we've already been touched on and I'm glad that because many miss what we really need to see. There's three things I want you to circle, highlight, underline, or whatever. Mark them in this section here. There are three words. Weaknesses. See it in verse 15? The words weaknesses. The word, in verse uh, 16, the word help us, in the NIV it says help us, and also says need. Yes, the Bible says we are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible says that He'll give us the victory. But there are a lot of people that unfortunately fall prey to that theology that think that they're invulnerable now. And I want to walk us through a deep study tonight to show you that the Bible says that God knows that you're weak, you need His help, and you have need. See, because a lot of us, because we think that because we fall to temptation, or because we are weak, or because we doubt, or because we worry, or because we're anxious, that God is mad, or God is disappointed with us, or God's going to put us off to the shelf, that we're really no good. And the enemy wants to beat you down at this time, but the Hebrew writer is saying, look, I know you guys are thinking about going back to Judaism. Don't. 
But at the same time, even though he's been very hard to say, look, if you don't know Jesus and you turn from Him and you turn away, there is no other salvation and there is judgment. At the same time, the Hebrew writer here says, but he also understands how hard it is. He knows how hard it is. And so, go to Matthew chapter 26. We'll look at verses 36 through 46. Jesus is in the garden right before the cross. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Don't miss that. A lot of times when we're troubled... Some wonderful, well-intentioned Christian will come along and say, what are you troubled for? Now, hopefully you don't stay in the dumps for a long time, but you'll have waves. They'll come. And actually, it's in those times that you'll find that God uses your weakness to teach you and to strengthen you and to grow you. That's why Paul said, I want to learn, I want to know Christ more and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. If you have this false mentality that the Christian life is always to be, everything's great, everything's fine, and that's what it means to be a Christian, you're never really going to grow. Because it's in those times where you say, this stinks. It's in those times where you say, I don't understand. It's in those times when you say, I know you've made these promises, but right now can I just tell you I hurt. I'm still trusting you, but let me just say, I'm not loving it right now. It's in those times that those of you that have been through those times, loss of someone or or some kind of devastation of some sort in your life, it's in those times that you also experience the reality of who God really is. In those times that He came and He brought comfort that you would have never understood or experienced any other way. And that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we are to comfort others with the comfort we have received. Well, how could you receive comfort if you don't need it? And too many Christians think that we're supposed to be, everything's good. God's good all the time, all the time God's good. And you know what? That's true. But sometimes we don't feel it. And I want you to hear tonight that God understands. Now, I'm not saying that you can have a pity party. I'm saying be real with God. Be real with God. And to keep me from preaching the Psalms part of our cruise study, I'll stop right there. But uh, let's keep reading. He was, so, he, he, he was sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. But I want to focus on what Jesus said in verse 41. This is key. He says to them, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body, some of your translations say flesh, is weak. What I want to do for right now is I want to spend some time to deal with this body-flesh issue or the body-spirit issue. And then we'll come back to the watch and pray thing. I want to go, first of all, to look at the fact that he says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, what I want to remind you of is for those of us here that have trusted Jesus as our Savior, you know that your spirit is new. You have been redeemed. Your spirit was dead because of sin. You've been made alive because of Jesus Christ. He's made you a new creation. He's put His spirit within you. You are new. And your spirit has been redeemed. If you were to die today, you know you're going to heaven because Jesus has forgiven you. You are redeemed. And as you've heard me say before, did that salvation affect your flesh? Did you lose 15 pounds when you got saved? Did your cholesterol drop? No. Did you stop graying? Did you stop going bald? No. It had no effect on your physical body. Why? Because the body is still under the curse of the, of the man's sin. And the Bible actually talks about that. And I want you to see that. That there is a battle that is now going on within you as a Christian between the new you that God has created and the remnants of the old you that are still dealing, you're dealing with in your body. And so go with me to Romans chapter 7. That's why Jesus says, the spirit's willing, but the body is weak. He's starting to show that there's, there's a battle going on here. So in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15, we see Paul... Talking about his own struggle with sin. Now there are some that say, well, Paul wasn't even really talking about himself at this time. He was just giving an illustration of what it used to be like before he got saved. I can show you that he was talking about himself because he says in verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. Why is he saying it's no longer? Because there's been a change. So let's take a look at verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Now i got to stop. The NIV translation, I think, is a fine translation in many places. But one of the places that it has frustrated me is right here. Because the sinful nature is not a good translation of what that really means. Many of your Bibles will say what? Flesh. And actually some of your NIV Bibles will have a note down at the bottom that says, or flesh. Every time that you'll see sinful nature, I want you to put the term flesh. Because that will help you in this struggle. And that's why many people have had this struggle with this issue. The NIV calls it our sinful nature. I believe the Bible teaches that the old you is gone. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. So even though we still struggle with sin, even though we still struggle with temptation, I believe the old nature, if you will, is gone. But the problem is, the term nature is not even really a good biblical word. And and the NIV translation here says, I know that uh, in nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. That's bad. The better translation of the Greek word is my flesh. 
And you'll see how that's important. So I'm going to read from now on, whenever it says sinful nature, I'm going to read flesh, even though I'm reading from the NIV. He says in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, to, if, sorry, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. That's the second time he said that. Isn't that interesting? He said, that's not really me doing it. Why? Because he knows that's not who he is now. He's a different person now because God now lives within him. His spirit has been made new. That used to be who I was because I was a slave to sin. But the Bible says I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. God now lives within me. And so now the life I live, I live by faith in the one who's now living within me. But when I sin, it's against, and I hate this term, it's against my nature to sin now as a Christian. Now, please do not hear what Paul's saying here is that he's not responsible or accountable for when he sins. And we're going to get to how some of this true teaching of the gospel has been turned into Gnosticism and, and abused. But, but he just twice here has said, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body. See that? That's why the term flesh should be there instead of sinful nature. In the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we're going to keep reading and it's going to become more clear as we keep reading. But do you understand where is this struggle? What is Paul talking about? What's he struggling against? His mind and the flesh. He's wrestling as a new creation with the stuff I don't want to do, I still do. And he says, who can save me from this body of flesh? Jesus even told his disciples in the garden, you better watch and pray. The Spirit's willing, but your body's weak. Flesh is weak. Keep reading. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Let me back up. End of verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the, I hate the sinful nature, flesh, a slave to the law of sin. Do you see it? The differences between your spirit and the flesh that you have now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature or the flesh, God did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind on things set on what that nature desires or the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, look closely are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in within you. In other words, He will give you victory over this flesh because He's had victory over the flesh. Now, what I want to take a second is, and some of you may not understand this or have known this if you haven't done this kind of a study, out of the teaching of the Gospel, out of the good news of salvation that the church was bringing out, a, a sect broke out called Gnostics or Gnosticism. And what they did was they took the teaching of the gospel because here Paul was teaching that when you are born again through Jesus Christ, He gives you a new spirit. He comes to indwell you. That's who you really are now. And you need to live out of that knowledge, out of that truth. Your flesh is still dead because of sin and you're going to be struggling and battling against it. And so what the Gnostics did was they said this. So you're saying the spirit is good, the flesh is evil. Therefore, if I'm good in the Spirit, it doesn't matter what I do in my flesh or in my body, because it's the Spirit that really matters. And so they started saying that sexual sin was okay, and anything I do in my body really doesn't matter because that's going to be killed, and it's the bad part of me. The good part of me is my spirit, so I'm just going to live out of the Spirit, and whatever my body does, it doesn't really matter. And that was called that was a branch of Gnosticism. There was another branch of Gnosticism which went in the other direction, and they, they say, well, my spirit is new, and my spirit is good, and my flesh is bad, so I'm going to treat my flesh badly. And they were Stoics, and they used to beat themselves, or they would starve themselves, or they would do all these things. But is, what I want you to really grasp from this is this. There must have been a teaching in the early church of the difference between who you are in spirit and what's going on in your body. They ran with it into unbiblical realms, but God is just simply saying to you, you're still in the flesh. You're still in this human body, and you're going to have to wrestle with it until I give you the new one. Now when does that happen? We know that happens at the rapture. It's when we get our new bodies for for eternity. But until then, you need to be wise. You need to understand you are a new creation. You're forgiven. All the sins you've ever done or will do are totally covered by Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. You still sin. If Jesus is in control, you're going to sin less and less as you learn to let Him have control. But understand something. Until you shed this shell, your spirit's willing. But your body's weak. And you have to learn how to live daily with this understanding of how to have the same Jesus that lived in a body just like yours and mine, tempted in every way, yet without sin. We need to learn how to let Him have control because only He can defeat this flesh that you have. You can't. You'll see this even more clearly. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Galatians 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Paul says here, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the what? Flesh. Yeah, my translation unfortunately says sinful nature, and that's a bad translation. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful or nature of the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Doesn't that sound like what Paul was saying in Romans 7? But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. 
You know, God's still not measuring whether you do right or do wrong if you're a Christian. As a loving father, he knows that if you do wrong, it's not good for you. He set up his natural laws and his commands because they're for our best. I heard one preacher say in the radio today, he said, thou shalt not lie. You know why? Because your life will be better if you don't lie. You know, don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your boss. And you'll have a better life whether you know Jesus or not. His commands are good for us. But if we don't obey Him because we're now in Christ Jesus, He's no longer measuring whether we do or don't. And He's lovingly shaping us. And sometimes when we sin, when we think He's going to punish us, because you've already heard me say He's already fully punished Jesus, sometimes He'd say, was that fun? And we say, no. He'll say, then don't do it anymore. That's it? You're not mad? And a loving father will sometimes say to you, well, you sound like you didn't enjoy it. Didn't want you to do it in the first place. Get back out there and try again. That's it? I've been taught by the preacher you're going to get me. See, a lot of times we really have a misunderstanding of who God is and how He sees us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if as a, his child I continue to walk in continual sin, the Bible says that he's going to shape me. Sometimes he might let that continual sin manifest itself in such a way that, boy, I wish people hadn't have found that out. But it's for my best. Because he's trying to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. But he does it with love. And he's always gently, and you're going to see that when we come back together next week, gently working with us. How many of us have ever understood that? That God deals with you gently. That's why Jesus said, Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I Listen, I am gentle and humble. Meek and humble at heart. Wow! Is that how He really looks at us? For many years, even in the church, we have been taught that God is going to get us. That must have been good for the recording. <laughs> Those of you that are listening online, I hope you kept the car on the road. All right. Well, they, some people are actually downloading these studies. Isn't that cool? What's that? You're going to edit it out? All right. Then all we just said made no sense to you at all. All right. Look at now all of a sudden. Keep this in mind now. The struggle you have between the new you in your spirit and your body is going to make so much more sense now when you read Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It's a verse many of you could quote, but now look at it and you're going to see something jump off the page. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? Offer your bodies, your flesh. Offer the part of you that is still under the curse of sin. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're going to run into that now and deal with that in a second. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Did you see it? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? In other words, Jesus, you lived in this body. You know the pull of temptation. Yet you defeated it. I can't. You've got to understand that. You can't. Oh, I'm a new creation. Yes, in Jesus Christ, 
you are the overcomer. Through Christ, you have victory. He has to do it. Remember John 15, 5. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot defeat the flesh even though you're a new creation. Jesus has to do it for you. You're going to say something, Chris? Go right ahead. In the same way that you offered yourself for salvation, He's the one who makes it acceptable. He's the one who makes it clean. He's the one as makes it holy and pleasing. And, and in the same way, as you offer your body, what's He going to do with it? He's going to make it clean. He's going to make it acceptable. He's going to make it victorious. He's going to keep refining it. Now keep in mind though, there's something we don't see because we don't read the Greek. In here in chapter 12, when it says, in the, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, actually in the Greek, that's a daily renewing. That is a continual renewing of your mind. So in other words, Jesus, you lived in this body, you know the pull of temptation, you, you defeated it, I can't, but you can, and I give you control over my flesh today. This must be a daily renewing. And so I want to show you something here. This term mind is, is important. Renewing of your mind. I want you to go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Alright. Here is the Jewish people know this as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay, do you see it? Listen closely. What do we love God with? According to Deuteronomy, what are we to love God with? All our heart and our soul and our strength. Some of you wanted to say mine, didn't you? You says might. Some of you might say might instead of strength. But some of you, when you're quoting it, you want to say mind. Because Jesus did. Go to Mark chapter 12 and you'll see something. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, yet He added a word. Now, don't get mad. He wrote the book. He can add words if He wants to. And actually, I'm glad that He added this word because now it helps us. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, you'll see, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He added a word. And I want you to understand that that is a gift to you that he added that word. And here's why. If I were to tell you to love God with all your heart, you would say, okay, what does that mean? Where's my heart? Is it my ticker? Is it, you know, you know with, with you, love him with, that's kind of hard to put your hand on. Second thing, well, love him with all your soul then. Well, that doesn't help. Well, love him with all your strength. What am I supposed to do? Break bricks? What, what does that mean? But when he says, love him with all my mind, that's actually something that helps. Now, here's the deal I want you to understand. What is the only part of you that connects you to your flesh? Did you hear it? It's your mind. Your mind is in your brain. Which, by the way, you hopefully understand is physical. It is, it is it's the material part of you. Yet that's where the physical and the spiritual connect. 
And that's where Satan wants to attack. And you have to understand that the battle is for your mind. You have to understand that that is where you have to let God have control. That's why it says in Corinthians, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. I want to love God with everything I have. I don't know what it means to love Him with all my heart. I'll be honest with you, I'm a guy. That kind of stuff, I don't buy Hallmark cards. I'm not that gushy. You know, I remember one time I, I wanted, I gave my mom a card and I loved it because it said, it said happy birthday or whatever. And then at the end it said, if you wanted a mushy card, put it in the gravy. You know, kind of a thing. But I don't understand the heart stuff or with all my soul or with all my strength, but I can love God with my mind. I can let Him be the focus of what... I cannot let sin have victory over my thought life, over my mind. That's where the battle is being waged. And I want you to understand, that's why the pattern of this world is to give into this flesh. And while we're still in these bodies, in this world, it will be our temptation as well. Now understand, you do understand temptation is not sin. For years, whenever I was tempted, I'd be beating myself up. Even if I didn't give in to the temptation, I was mad that I was tempted. Because I thought, finally I won't be tempted anymore by this. And finally I wised up and saw, you know what, the Bible never said temptation was sin. Jesus was tempted and He never sinned. So don't be mad if you're tempted. But you've got to learn to win the battle for the mind. And oh, by the way, how do you do that? How do you win the battle for the mind? Well, he put the word in, but Jesus already answered that back in the garden. What did he tell those guys? Right before he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What did he say? Watch and pray. Folks, don't miss this. That's the key. Jesus gave us a key right there. How do you watch? You know that the enemy is going to come after you. You know that he's going to use your, your desires that are within you because it's in your flesh and in your mind still. He's going to use the world. He's going to use all these things. He's going to come at you. Watch. Know that he's going to come after you. And pray. Help. Help. Why do you think Jesus spent those last hours in the garden wrestling and asking the Father for help? His flesh, his spirit was willing and his flesh was weak. But he had victory because God gave him the victory. Folks, you need to watch. Keep your eyes open. You need to pray. Ask God for his victory through his spirit, which is in us. If Jesus said to watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation, what will you do if you don't watch and pray? Have you not experienced that as true? Me too. Me too. But you know what's good news? Go back to Hebrews. Verse 15 of chapter 4 says this, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hang on for a second. I'm going to ask you a question about that in a second. But, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anybody to say anything, but many of us who were raised, you know, by parents who didn't understand what it, mean, what it meant to parent in the image of God, or they might have had a wrong image of God and thought they were parenting in the image of God. But haven't you sometimes felt as a parent yourself that you had to put on this image of the fact that you never sinned? 
You know, there's a tendency sometimes that, you know, you don't want to talk to your kids about the things you did because then they'll think, well, then maybe I can do it. If you did it, maybe I can do it. And so a lot of times we put on like we never did that. We never struggled with those things. But you know what I found being a parent myself? Sometimes it helps my kids the most when I come alongside of them and say, that's a real struggle, isn't it? I had that same struggle. Let me tell you how I felt. Let me tell you how I wrestled with it or had the victory. But letting their kids know that you had that same struggle. And you know what? Jesus didn't sin. He didn't fall. But He understands. You know, a lot of times we'll say, God, you don't know what it's like. He says, yes, I do. Yes, I do. He fully understands. He knows your weakness. And you know what's sad? Many of us Christians, how can we give each other comfort with the comfort we've received if we don't admit that we've got struggles? We, 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 the way we've designed church nowadays is to put on the nice clothes and put on the appearance of everything's fine. We drive our nicest car when you go to church, don't you? You take the nicest one. We, we tend to put on this image of everything's good. How you doing, brother? Fine. How you doing, sister? Fine. And if someone actually says, well, i got some struggles, we don't know what to do. Sometimes we just shun them. We're not trying to be mean. It's just we don't know how to deal with somebody's problems. And I know a lot of people that don't get involved in small groups. They just come to the big services on Sunday or whatever day they go. Uh, they, they do that because if they got in a small group, someone might know they're struggling with something and they don't want anybody to know. But I'm telling you, some of the biggest times of growth for you as a Christian will be when you get along with some brothers and sisters and say, can we talk? Jesus isn't condemning me, and I hope you don't condemn me as well, but here's something I'm wrestling with right now. And boy, wouldn't it be neat if you would be willing to say, me too. And then together as you pray, God give you both victory. Or you might run into someone that God has come alongside of you and say, been there too. I wrestled with that myself. Let me tell you how God helped me through it, and maybe I can help you in that way. One of the things that has blessed me in the ministry that I've been able to do as I travel around and deal with a lot of churches, but to deal with a lot of pastors, is by God's grace. And at the time, I probably didn't see it as God's grace. But a lot of the things they're wrestling with, I can honestly say, yeah, I've been there. Let me tell you what, when it happened to me. You're going to have to know someone well enough to know whether or not you can be transparent and open. But if God knows you've got weaknesses, why don't you let the people around you know you do too? Here's the question I want to wrap up with, though. Verse 16. Is it talking about approaching the throne of grace before or after we sin? Now look closely at it. Is it talking about approaching the throne of grace before or after we sin? Yes. Very good answer, Allison. The answer is yes. It's both. Look, you'll receive what? Mercy? That's because that's for when after you sin. Thank God He's given me mercy. But it's also grace, either after my sin or before. The answer is yes. Whether you haven't sinned or whether you have sinned, go to Him. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. I'm going to wrap up with one last verse. 1 John chapter 2. It's actually two verses. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Look closely what John says. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I love this. At this point, John was you know, one of the last disciples who was alive, or the, uh, the twelve apostles, if you will, who were alive. He had become a very, very old man. And he is so old, he called all of his, the, the, the disciples Jesus. He calls them his children. I love that. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, 
Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you see it? When we talk about our weaknesses and the fact that you still are going to sin, and you're going to still struggle with sin, and you'll lose the temptation at time, it is not a con- a, a, an approval of sin and it says, okay, it doesn't matter, God's okay with it, you can do whatever you want. I don't want you to run into some form of Gnosticism either. But John says, I'm writing these things so that you don't sin. It's not good to sin. But if you do, God knows. That's why He died. He died because of sin. And He knows it's there, and He knows it's real, and He knows the struggle. And when will you no longer have an issue with sin? When you go to heaven. Until then, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Daily, renew your mind. Allow the Spirit of God to have control of the flesh. And if you fall, don't beat yourself up. God doesn't. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank You for the fact that uh, even though I thought we were just going to just skim over those verses, there was so much that jumped out that I just really felt like You want us to look at it. Father, I... I pray that we do hold firmly to this faith that we profess. I thank You that You're able to understand our weaknesses. I'm thankful that You are slow to anger and full of compassion, abounding in love, and that You deal with us gently as we're going to see next week. Father, for many of us, this is a new concept. For many of us, this sounds really good, but almost too good to be true. Lord, for many of us, even though Your Word teaches us that the fear of You is the beginning of wisdom, and even though the Bible teaches that we are to have a reverence for You as our God, as Your children, at the same time, we've been told to fear You in the wrong way. And your Word is very clear in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that perfect love drives out and casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect or complete in love. And Lord, many of us have felt like you were angry at us when we sinned. And so we we wouldn't even be willing to admit it to anybody else for fear of judgment from them. And Lord, there are many of us that you've you've said in your word, confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed. Yet we try to pretend like we don't have these struggles. We don't have these issues. And then, unfortunately, at times when we see a brother or sister who uh, their sin becomes public, we go on the attack. Father, I pray that tonight, first and foremost, we would be able to receive Your love. Then we would be able to go to You. Some of you, some of the folks in this room tonight, Lord, need to just go spend some time at the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. To come and to confess our sins. Lord, thank You that You've already forgiven us for all of our sins. And we really don't need to ask You to forgive us. You already have. But You want us to confess our sins and You're faithful and You're just and You cleanse us. Thank You. May we go to Your throne of mercy and receive Your grace. Father, many of us are wrestling with things right now and and temptation is an issue and, and we have a tendency to give in and we feel like You're mad. Lord, may tonight we hear You say, I'm not mad, I just want You to come to me and let me give You the victory. Father, some of us have maybe even questioned whether or not we're saved because the enemy is such a jerk and he wants to come in and attack in that way. 
May we understand that we are a new creation. Our spirits are alive. The sin we sin, though, is not who we really are. It's just dealing with this body and this world and all the things that are pulling at us to pull us away from You or into things that You don't have for us. Father, may this truth sink in and give us the peace and joy in such a way that we can love Your love on the people around us who sin still, as we do. Lord, I thank You for the fact that Your Word says that if You live within us, we'll begin to sin less. But Lord, at the same time, Your Word says that perfection won't happen until we get to see You. So until then, may we receive Your love and share it with those around us. And may Christianity not be seen as a religion of rules, of the do's and the don'ts, but as a group of people who have been forgiven and who have received Your love, who walk in a daily relationship with You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.